This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Power Weekend Breakfast News Roundup. News Roundup indeed um, at 13 minutes after 7 here on a Power Weekend Breakfast. And joining us for the News Roundup is Tlohi Le Tlohonolo Musue, who is a political and social commentator. Thank you so much for joining us, Tlohi. Thank you so much. Good morning. A pleasure as always. Good to see you in the daytime. In the daytime. This is how I look in the daytime <laughs> as well, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Tlokhi, you come on a morning where there is breaking news story yeah. of a um, a person who is obviously not without his controversies, yes. uh, you know, like like anybody, any other leader. And that is um, the death of Prince Mangosutu Butelezi, whose death was announced this morning. What do we have to say about that? Well, first and foremost, we of course convey condolences to his family and all those associated with him. But indeed, we come off this morning, literally, on the news of his passing at the age of 95, Mm. two weeks after celebrating his 95th birthday. And after, I think, a prolonged spell of uh, illness, I think, having been admitted into hospital a couple of weeks back and everyone being worried about his state of health, but uh, certainly receiving the news as reported, as tweeted, in fact, by the account of the President of the Republic of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa. And so this was also further confirmed in a statement released by his family, stating that, of course, it is with utter grief that we, the family of Prince uh, Mangosuthu Butelezi, announced the passing of, as they describe, South Africa's truest champion and greatest servant. And it really comes off off of a bet or off of the bet as well of the passing of Raymond Ackerman and so many others and certainly his passing is poignant for the simple fact that he represents sort of the last of a specific class of uh, struggle icons of stalwarts of the liberation struggle in South Africa now of course as you prefaced it there are certain controversies based on his legacy based on his political life you know the formation of the ifp its role uh you know within the liberation struggle of course more specifically during that pivotal period of 1990 leading up to 94 into the democratic Mm. elections and you know their involvement there the allegations and the reports surrounding the ifp's involvement in terms of destabilizing talks being agents and enablers uh, of apartheid uh, you know amongst a whole number of things most recently of course uh, the reports that had come out of his uh, in his role as the traditional prime minister of the zulu nation uh, the, the the supposed fallout that he had with uh, the, the the current Zulu yeah. monarch, yeah. so that there's a lot of controversies. But similarly, so what we take from this is, and what we will probably see as time goes on, is one of the longest-serving MPs in. Uh, the history of uh, South Africa's uh, National Assembly, uh, one of the longest-serving politicians that we have, we will probably also see, outside of these, we will speak and we will hear people speak and eulogize a man who had a sincere sense of devotion to family, to faith, someone who 
wore his heart on his sleeve and as in recent times more specifically during the time or during the years of president jacob zuma's time in parliament really taking a fatherly role uh, in parliament when things would get a little uh, shaky when things would get a little otherwise often playing this role of a mediator more specifically between uh, you know the EFF uh, leader Julius Malema and 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 his uh, party as well as other members of the ANC just when parliament would disintegrate trying to be that voice of reasoning that that middle ground in trying to bridge both uh, the young and old generations so it goes without saying that you are likely to see a number of reports and a number of nuances and i think that forms part of the legacy of celebration of an individual being able to take the good and the bad Absolutely. to make the holistic individual the binaries matter yeah. um i mean his role you know I remember the relations uh, between him and the ANC falling out because of um, his endorsement of the Bantu stand and mm. his um, insistence on non-violence um, uh, towards uh, the apartheid regime. And he was often uh, called out for that uh, and, you know, called a sellout. Um, but uh, staying with the 90-year-olds whose uh, lives have come to an end, uh, we saw the death of Raymond Ackerman this this week. I didn't realize that he was even still alive. Do you know that? Wow. Um, I know. I know. I know. Um, and, I mean, he made a huge contribution yeah. to towards it. I mean, he was one of the people who said, who urged um, uh, de Klerk to have the mm-hmm. meeting with uh, with uh, Mandela and subsequently release him from prison, as well as setting up quite a few uh, organizations that saw the development of uh, small business um, yeah. owners in the country. Indeed. Well, look, honesty is the best policy. I think a number of people probably, some probably didn't even know. Uh, about him so at least you just didn't know that uh, he was uh, you know still alive but we also mourn uh, you know the passing of retail tycoon Raymond Ackerman who founded Pick and Pay in about 1962 he was 92 when he was uh, when he passed on and of course at this point survived by his wife Wendy with whom he founded uh, the the, the retail company Mm. Pick and Pay I guess it's true what they say uh, next to every great man is a great woman um, uh, walking hand in hand with him and of course survived by his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren children but what is so profound about Raymond Ackerman's legacy is certainly the fact that even in his founding of pick and pay where he had the opportunity and the space to actually monopolize an entire industry he sought to be a voice for the voiceless and sought to actively be someone who uh, in his pursuits both business social and political as you rightfully prefaced uh, you know urging Detlerk to begin the process of negotiation towards um, you know finding the negotiated settlement as many would say but he also used his platform in business as a particular space to actively open up uh, opportunity for others we have seen at times where you have people who monopolize a market uh, monopolize a certain sector of the economy making sure that they kind of drive everyone out of uh, the way but instead for him and this was the approach that many who have paid tribute to him in the business space in the philanthropic space who have continued to actively say that there was a deep sense of commitment to the upliftment and empowerment of others having actually um you know founded the 
Raymond Ackerman Academy for Entrepreneurial Studies and Development, in which many times many spoke of the work that he did in trying to lift everyone up and trying to speak towards whatever principles would make one a successful uh, entrepreneur, but continuing to emphasize those humanistic and moral principles and values that actually have you know, made the most. And we've seen over the years the development of pick and pay as a subsidiary or as a shareholder in so many uh, spots in so many developmental areas, especially in our townships. If you go around Gauteng, there's a number of, uh, you know, these puzzle shop that were developed and most of them having been developed into, you know, fully fledged mini grosses as a result mm. of the work that he was able to do through uh, his endeavors and through pick and pay. So it's really a loss uh, to the country of a great man who stood by his principles, who stood by his morals, but certainly was when we talk about, because at times we can be very superfluous in our talking about, you know, this idea of unifying the country, you know, in the midst of problems. But this is one individual who certainly lived it, breathed it, and was an active participant in trying to make things better for so many others. And I mean, his dad also having um, established Ackermans, mm-hmm. the the store. So two uh, very powerful generations of, of businessmen there. A story that is ever continuing. I mean, there's so many layers to the prison escape of Tabo Besta. So very many layers that we can explore. But um, Health Minister Dr. Joe Patla hinted to a collusion at the morgue um, that... Uh, uh, they used to get the table, uh, the 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 body of Bering, mm-hmm. and he's saying that there was some kind of um, collusion there to allow Tabobesta's escape. Tell us more about that. So this, of course, is first and foremost off of the cuff, as you say, so many layers. But it's really, I don't know if I can say it's boring or it just it creates a certain level of something. It it evokes something because the more this thing goes on, the more you increasingly irritated one becomes and and despondent one becomes but i think from this story having hinted to parliament uh, that it was clear that there were two parties involved in the plot to claim uh, bering's body from the mortuary in his report to parliament he said that the procedure on how people can claim bodies was very clear but in this case it appears that things were done somewhat differently and the body ended up in best cell where it was burned now following the answering of these questions uh, the minister further established or said uh, that police at this point were still investigating the whole ploy and this is where the the nuance or the irritation comes mm. in i mean just based off everything that we attained at the moment we learned of his escape and all of that, mm. it's very clear as day that there was collusion. There was several I mean, collusions. There was so, so, so this is him. They could not have report. done it on their own. Exactly. Mm. So this is him, uh, you know, answering to something that is obvious, something that I think anyone would be able to see. What we need to understand and know at this point in time is who... who? What, Mm. when, where, and how? Because what the continuation of the saga with so many open-ended and unanswered questions leaves is one, a despondency from us 
as a citizenry of this nation but two and i mean already most of us are generally at that level of despondence with with regards to everything that's occurring in our country but two it then leaves a lack of trust in systems that many have taken so many so long to actively build to actively engage and make sure that they work because now this is uh, you know, the, the claiming of a body, for example, this is a case that made it into headlines. But for every Tabo Besta, there's probably three or four other stories mm. that we don't know of, which then makes us wonder what exactly is the state of the mortuaries in South Africa? What's the state of our correctional services and our judicial system in the fact that a dead corpse, a corpse could be dragged in? to prison and someone escape and all those other things so it's obvious that there was collusion they couldn't have done this outside of any other way outside of having colluded with someone but we need to know who what when where and how so that we can actually find out how do we plug the hole and how do we fix the system if not overhaul it completely so until they tell us uh, it appears like and as or as long as they keep telling us it appears like and they say and we believe it could be we don't want to hear that Mm. we know that's what occurred we need to understand how why who's responsible and what are they actively going to do to fix it you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, another story that we saw this week pertaining to mortuaries was the revelation that the families of the victims of uh, the CBD Johannesburg building fire were solicited 700 rands um, just to have access to the bodies of their loved ones. But that is, um, I mean, I think a story of success mm. in that they caught it right at the beginning yes. and those that are soliciting this money have been identified and they'll be adequately dealt with. But it just speaks to the types of officials we have at these institutions where people in their time of desperation exactly. um, are exploited, really. Mm. A story I absolutely love is seeing Lyra make a surprise uh, return on stage. And this was uh, at the R&B Starlight uh, yes. evenings. Yes. And she. this is after she had revealed that uh, she suffered a stroke and is uh, has been going to therapy, speech therapy, to mm-hmm. learn how to talk. But she's not at a stage where she can really... She did say, though, that yeah. um, her, the part of her brain that actually allows her to sing is not that. It hasn't been adversely affected. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing her on stage singing... Um, what is the name of the song now? Njilo Njilo. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. This was... These are the stories that, you know, when you really think about how deep and down in the doldrums we are, you come across something like this and it speaks to the resilience of the human spirit. Mm. You can't help but be inspired. You can't help but have a certain level of joy uh, emanate from your heart. But indeed, uh, the R&B Classic was held, uh, Starlight Classics was held uh, this past week and last weekend uh, in Johannesburg and uh, hosted by Katako Maboe. And uh, having spotted Lyra in the crowd, he went and fetched mm-hmm. her and she rightfully explained. And as she was speaking, you could tell, uh, you know, following some of in- the interviews that she's done over the course of her recovery and since returning to the public space you could tell that of course there is a speech impediment and Mm. she's certainly you know uh, still working through that and then 
she admitted to the fact that in her trying to still learn how to speak and claim that sense of self back, uh, she is not at the stage uh, at which she would be able to sing or perform or even, you know, perform an entire concert or repertoire of songs. And then she tried. And as she opened her mouth, it was just a surreal moment, a magical moment, because it really seemed at that moment that that person who's recovering from a stroke, all of that just went away. Mm. And I think to have been able to witness that, understanding her story, her recovery, and also just noting the progress that she has made is really something so beautiful, so profound, and it really speaks to two things. You know, there have always been those, especially those in the art space. I've always said there's the saying, when words fail, uh, the music will speak. And I think the music spoke uh, for her to for her to be able to do that really stands as a testament to the unfailing power of the resilience that is in there. Because, I mean going through that and we hear so many stories of people who suffer strokes and they become worse for wear and she is here actively reclaiming her life and i think that will stand as a moment as a testament and a testimony for so many to be like i can be able to reclaim my life no matter what it is i might have gone through so absolutely beautiful absolutely and a rather bizarre one as we end off. <laughs> what on earth is happening here? A yes. woman married her father-in-law after the groom ran off at the altar? Well, yes. Uh, look, she wanted to get married. <laughs> Didn't matter who, but I mean, she wanted to get married. But yes, uh, when you consider the drama that can come with a family wedding, this Indonesian woman... Uh, had so many things to worry about but the impossible happened after her fiance made a run for a runaway groom not a runaway bride yeah you don't often hear of that you don't Mm -mm. you honestly don't and then this led the bride to marrying her would-be (laughs) father-in-law invited guests and this is because that invited guests had already arrived the family was compelled to continue with the marriage and so the groom's father standing in for his son uh, he was forced to be represented by his father because he ran away before the Ijab Kabul. Uh, Kabul is the consent given by the bride's family at a wedding ceremony, which is a very important rite of passage in Islam. So he Fatou. supposedly claimed that the bride would be groom, uh, would have been in love, uh, and they had a connection, but uh, we just don't know what happens. So what would be interesting is what happens now. Like, I didn't know you could get married by proxy, but clearly you can. But but yeah. I mean, the groom having ran off is indication that he doesn't want this. So father just saying, I'll marry her on your behalf. How does that work? And also, did they have any kind of a relationship? What does we had a connection before mean? Well, we had a connection. I saw As you, you saw in, me. Mm, so I, I, it's, 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 it's really tricky, but I guess they didn't want their money and their outfits to be wasted. They could have so. just said to the people, have a party, guys. <laughs> you have just... At whose expense? Knock yourself. No. I mean, the expenses, we've already, we've already lost out anyway. <laughs> that's true. We don't need... But, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know how that's no. But be careful, them. guys. Be careful. <laughs> be careful out there. <laughs> So, thank you so much uh, for thank coming you. in. Uh, that is Lutrokonolo Musue, political and social commentator there. 
You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.